The name's Bond. James Bond. What do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. Grow up, 007. <laughs> this never happened to the other fellow. I'm the money. Every penny of it. So you put your money where your mouth is. It's quite a nice little nothing you're almost wearing. I approve. I'll do anything for a woman with a knife. And any small man and never forget! Kill Bond! Now! To the right! To the right! To the right! Shocking. Positively shocking. You get your clothes on, I'll buy you a nice trade. <laughs> Welcome to a special unannounced New Year edition of Double Oz 7 where we've finally done what all of our listeners have been begging us to do for years upon years, which is get rid of Ben Waterworth. (laughs) And we brought in such a suitable replacement, the man who has a restraining order against being on episodes with Ben Waterworth, apparently, because Noah's back, uh, and I'm still here. Um, So we're going to bring you an unannounced episode. We said we're bringing back the rankings. Uh, as we are doing something that Ben is not familiar with, which is reading. Uh, and we're going to finally get around to ranking the Ian Fleming novels, uh, all 12 original Ian Fleming novels. Uh, and I'm sure Ben will read at least one of them by the time uh, 2022 comes around. But Happy New Year as well, everybody. Um, and Merry Christmas. And... Uh, uh, Valentine's Day is coming! Yay! Uh, <laughs> uh, how, how was your Arbor Day? <laughs> Very inclusive on this podcast. It's changed. Let's get into it. My name is Colin Pistols Hilding Manga. And my name's uh, Noah. And I like reading. <laughs> Unlike men, <laughs> I forgot how to. Uh, I forgot how to do these things, but N- I am uh, contractually obligated to appear on at least one episode a year. So yeah, and you know what? Fit it into the last two days of the year. It, it did take a very special occasion for you to come back because we should mention why Ben is not on this episode. Noah, why is Ben not on this episode? Well, he died. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know all those terrible things he said about Roger Moore and Sean Connery? It finally caught up to him. Payback's a bit. So I, I'm contractually obligated to be on at least one a year, and in that contract it says that Ben will not be on the same uh, episode that I'm on. So. No, he's on his honeymoon. honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say that uh, it's been a long time since I saw you, Colin. But we were at a wedding yesterday. We were we were at a wedding together <laughs> uh, at, at different times of the day. Amazingly enough. <laughs> yeah, very tricky. Uh, yeah, it was nice to go to a wedding with you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Ben did get married yesterday. Round of applause for Ben. He found a woman <laughs> who is not familiar with his antics on this show, apparently. <laughs> you know, you know uh, 2020 has had some big anomalies happen, but I think the biggest of all the craziness that's happened this year is that somebody married Ben Wong. <laughs> 
<laughs> it took a pandemic for Ben to get a woman to commit to him. He's been engaged how many times? Finally had somebody tie the knot. He said, I will destroy half of the world. Forget about Moore and Connery. I will destroy half of the world unless you marry me. And somebody fell for it. I knew that there was a conspiracy with this virus, but Ben was... <laughs> That's not where I thought, but it all makes sense. Now. He's the Blofeld of the real world. This is biological <laughs> yeah, warfare. Definitely blows something. <laughs> <laughs> no, congratulations, Ben. Uh, it was a lovely to go to your wedding. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Ben uh, did find a way to work several movie quotes into um, his, his vows, which was nice. No James Bond quote, sadly, but uh, he did send a nice greeting. Why don't, why, don't we, why don't we go to Ben right now? Ben, Ben, uh, why would you rather not be on this episode right now? What are we about to do? Honeymoon! He's on his honeymoon. Okay, okay. We already said that, Joe. Yeah, we 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 we, <laughs> we buried the lead. We're sorry. <laughs> I was going to say you mentioned uh, quotes uh, when, when I was watching the wedding. Uh, it was on Zoom, by the way. It's not me to not listen. Yeah. To that, but, uh, <laughs> no one's <laughs> napping during the vows. <laughs> <laughs> Very boring. Um, so it was early for me, and at one point it cut out. So I heard Ben say. Oh, I'm going to quote the movie. I thought, oh, great. And then it just completely cut out both times. So I said to Colin after, did he, did he mention all the time in the world? <laughs> <laughs> that's what, legitimately what I heard. I'm like, that's a risky uh, a wedding quote. Yeah, I mean, if she hasn't seen the movie, you know, she's not going to live through the night. <laughs> yeah, that's a global pandemic. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be a sad wedding night. Oh, poor Mallory. <laughs> Look at it. Ben's finished off more Connery, and she's next. And also, Ben, keep your clothes on. Keep your clothes on. Seriously, <laughs> this guy has been married for 24 hours, and he's a nudist, apparently. <laughs> That's what I had to wake up to. So first, yesterday I woke up to his wedding, and today I woke up to just something different. <laughs> Uh, a pa- okay, pasty right. backside of <laughs> Ben Waterworth. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what he was going for there. But, uh, <laughs> congratulations, Ben. Lovely. Best Zoom wedding I've ever been to. Hands uh, down. And you've, you've earned your honeymoon. <laughs> but it means I've got to step in for first time in God knows when. Yeah, exactly. Contractually obligated to step in. Um, yeah. Look, this is what 2020 has brought us. It's brought us a global pandemic. It's brought us Ben getting a woman. And it's brought us Noah back. So, I mean, one out of three, right? <laughs> what happened to you? Um, I'm no children this year. Uh, that's a bonus. <laughs> Decided to slow Did down. Did leave Jamie and the kids? <laughs> I really have missed a lot. It's only been a couple months. <laughs> Um, but yes, we wow. we are going to be ranking the novels here. Um, all the things that oh yeah, that's what we're doing. All, all the things that Ben's incapable of doing. Um, and I mean, we got the Fleming novels, the original twelve in here. We're leaving out the short stories. Uh, I'm sure that once Ben gets around, we should also mention Ben bought all of the novels. What was it? Maybe like six months ago, 
He he was like excitedly texting us pictures in a bookstore. Which one should I buy? Which one should I buy? <laughs> did, did he ever read any? Did he tell you if he read any of them? Well, I think I don't think he read any. And he said, "Which one should I buy?" And I said, "I'm just getting them all." And he said, "Oh, I have to pay for a wedding." <laughs> Seem pretty cheap to me. Yeah, Zoom does not pay for itself. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the wedding jokes. I'm sorry. Um, No, I don't think he read any, but he was very excited to be. So I thought, oh, maybe he'll be on making episodes, but I guess he just liked the cover. Yeah, exactly. But but you know what? Uh, If we decide to include in here, uh, I don't know, the collections of Nicholas Susick, um, he can rank the case for die another day as his number one james bond novel i'm sure that's gonna come <laughs> honestly i i set this challenge to ben if he reads any of them then i'll reread that one and we'll do we'll do something with it. i promise to come back and ever read them. <laughs> this is we're just gonna start adding these to our patreon challenges here because uh we're still <laughs> waiting on a subscriber <laughs> we have promised me singing die another day Ben never playing Die Another Day again, and Noah coming on to talk about Ben learning how to read. Uh, it's stacking up people. Which which one of the... I, I, I will. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you, no, you go. I was just going to say, which one of the tiers uh, would you lean towards uh, you appearing on an episode to be on? The Daniel Craig's Little Fingers, the George Lazenby's Guts, or the Pierce Brosnan's Chest Hair? Uh, I think I'm Guts. <laughs> I a lot of Guts. <laughs> I, I will say on the the Patreon is a new thing since I I've been on <laughs> I did have a look at it and I noticed that one of the the perks was that you get to have your own phone call with one of the hosts. <laughs> and I, I didn't I didn't ask you or Ben about this, but I did wonder, well uh what happens if the the patron request a phone call with Noah. <laughs> do, I, do I have to do it? Um, let me see. I think that's on our top tier. Uh, and, I mean, would you be willing to do it for $10 a month? <laughs> yeah, do, do, I get a, do I get a piece of the pie if I have to be on the phone call? <laughs> no, what's even better is the exclusive signed photo of a James Bond actor by one of the hosts of 007. <laughs> What? Am I gonna sign these pictures? <laughs> I mean, if we, we amend this to, we will sign pictures of Ben Waterworth's backside nude photo the day after his wedding. <laughs> we'll get us more or less subscribers. I don't know if I can do that. Um, I don't think anybody. And, and by the way, anyone listening, this is uh, this is not a bit. This is an actual production. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about these methods, but I haven't expressed. Express them right, in any of the meetings because I've not been to any. Uh, yeah, so Noah will get his cut if anybody uh, demands the phone call with Noah. Basically, that's what I'm asking: is where, where's my piece? I mean, how far would ten dollars a month go in Korea? Uh, you know, I could probably get a new phone charger or. <laughs> Uh, some kimchi. <laughs> Upgrade your Zoom. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I can block certain images on my internet. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Permanently block Ben Waterworth. Um, 
Uh, I would say if anyone actually requested that, <laughs> I, I would do it. I don't need the money. He gives the money to poor Ben. He needs to pay for his money. But, uh, that, that would be a novelty in itself. Yeah, one subscriber would be a novelty, right? <laughs> <laughs> How hilarious. But uh, we got 12 novels here to rank. And uh, before we even start, I mean, uh, you and I talked about doing this, I think, back during your first lockdown. <laughs> uh, that was, what, almost a year I ago? remember that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, almost a year now it's taken my second lockdown to finally nail this down. Um, have you read, when was the last time you even read these books? Because since we discussed doing this back in March or whatever, uh, I've started rereading the novels. I think I'm on my third or fourth one. I'm not reading them in order. I'm just sort of picking and choosing as I go along. Uh, so some of these that I'm going to be ranking are pretty fresh for me. And some of them uh, are, I don't know, a decade old since I've read it, but they're all pretty vivid for me, but uh, when was the last time you even read any of the novels? Yeah, well, I guess I should preface that because <clears throat> you mentioned that you were rereading them and I, I it's been a good probably I, I read them all around 2015, 14, maybe some of them 2016, although I think I was finished by then, uh, and they were my first time reading them, basically. Um, and I've not really read any of them since. I read some of the other ones, which we won't get into. But uh, And then there was the new one, Trigger Mortis, I read when that came out. Um, but yeah, it's been a good five years. So of course, I remember them all, but I guess I should leave that note of... You know, if Ed reread these, firstly reread them, and then secondly, now um, maybe it would be a bit different. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I was one of those kids that loved reading. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to high school and university, as for many people, that killed reading. Yeah. For me. When they, when people told me I had to read, which is maybe why Ben won't read these books. <laughs> Uh, when people told me I had to read, that's when I uh, it, I just stopped reading for years. And it was actually the bomb books that kind of got me back into reading, and I read all of them. And now I read, you know, quite a lot. I think 2020 I read more than I've ever read. So I think it would be interesting to revisit, but I haven't yet. <laughs> but, yeah, it's been a good uh, five or so years, but I still remember them all mostly. Yeah, most of the main beat, whatnot. Yeah, I mean, uh, we did a book episode years ago as well. Uh, so, I mean, some of our opinions are going to be rehashed here. But uh, I'd be interested to go back and listen to it and see if anything's changed. But uh, I, I sort of slowly read all these books. Uh, I, I think the first one that I read was Doctor No, and it was probably around the time that Die Another Day came out. And I don't think I finished reading all the books. Oh wow! Yeah, but like by the time I finished reading all the books, Quantum of Solace was already an old thing. So it took me maybe 10 years to get through all of the books. You know, maybe I, I, I would read two or three at a time. Uh, not at a time, but two or three back-to-back, and then nothing for a few years. <laughs> uh, get stuck on Diamonds Are Forever, and eventually work my way back into it. But uh, I think the only one that I've gone out of my or the only two that I went out of my way to reread just for the fun of it was Casino Royale and Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, so doing this now, when I think I... 
had decided to reread You Only Live Twice just randomly. Uh, this one, No Time to Die, was supposed to come out uh, back in November. Uh, one of the times No Time to Die was supposed to come out. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could actually read all these books? And then they postponed it to April. I'm like, now I got the chance to read all the books. Uh, and if they postpone this till April of 20. I don't know, 36, Ben will read all the books. But uh, hopefully I can get through all these by the time it comes up. But At this rate, we'll be through the Raymond Benson. Yeah, exactly. We, we will finish Nicholas Susick's uh, James Bond <laughs> series, whichever new ones he's going to have come out between now and the time this episode airs. But um, it's sad that there is currently a James Bond film that exists in the world and that existed in the world when my first lockdown was on and <laughs> Still, we have to come on and do episodes about books, even though it's there. Yeah, w- this is called We're Scrambling, people. <laughs> this episode <laughs> that you're listening to is replacing mine and Ben's recap of Timothy Dalton in The Beautician and the Beast, okay? <laughs> we are running out of material. <laughs> no time to die, please. <laughs> Uh, let's get into this. So, if you've listened to our rankings episodes before, it's pretty simple. Uh, there's no vetoes. We just each rank it in order. <laughs> and, I'm coming for you. <laughs> and at the end of it, uh, we'll kind of give you an average placings of uh, where all the books are. Uh, but uh, do you want to do the honors of starting off, or do you want me to? Uh, you stop. Okay. So I'm going with uh, number 12. Um, this was the last Bond book I read. It was a chore to get through. Uh, and when I said it took me probably over 10 years to read it, I would say even longer because I'm not even entirely sure that I had finished this book at the time we recorded our last book episode, what, like three, four years ago. Uh, but it was uh, one of the first ones that I've reread now. So I have a different opinion. I actually found this more enjoyable the first time I read it, uh, but it felt more out of place the first time I read it. Now, having reread it now, this feels more like it belongs in the series, but it's just dull. Um, And it is the last book that Ian Fleming may or may not have worked on. Uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, I'll put this in the category of, believe it or not, somehow the movie did better than the book. There's just the thing, I'll get into it with another book that's going to be ranked near the bottom, but there's just a thing that when you're just dealing with typical gangsters and petty criminals it doesn't feel as big and i think the idea of scaramanga in the books was supposed to be bigger than he was uh this drastically changes what i always felt was the greatest ending to a book series ever which would have been you only live twice his book ending and just sort of tacking this on it almost feels like this was ian Fleming's reboot what am i going to do for a new chronology if uh casino royale three you only live twice was you know, phase one of James Bond, Man with a Golden Gun was maybe supposed to be the start of phase two, but it's just dull and it's not terribly interesting. And the idea of Bond being brainwashed to kill M sounds more interesting than it reads. Yeah, this is going to sound like I'm just speeding through to get off the <laughs> <a> podcast. <laughs> but my number 12 is also Man with a Golden Gun, so I may as well put that in, uh, put this in now. Um, I uh, I read it quite early when I was reading through them um, and I didn't hate it and I think part of that comes from because I kind of just read whatever was available at the time um, didn't matter about order or anything and 
so for me it was just oh another bomb pop that's good um, but yeah really especially You Only Live Twice is such a great ending and I don't necessarily think there couldn't have been something that came after but this <laughs> is not what this is the you know I love Diamonds Are Forever the film but this is the equivalent of Diamonds Are Forever coming yeah. right after on a Majesty Secret Service it's like okay yeah it's fun but this is not what we wanted as a follow up um, and just the you know only the price we leave and we'll get into that but we leave on sort of a resolution slash the sort of cliffhanger this <laughs> opens up with Bond like killing trying to kill M and then uh, and then okay we're gonna chuck even though I've just tried to kill M we're gonna put you on a mission and the Scaramanga is not like this is definitely what one of the times where the movie did it much better like Scaramanga in the movie is so much better um which you know it flips between better in the book and better in the movie um but yeah and then even Mary Goodnight coming in which of course in the books she's sort of a recurring character it's like we can't even think of our <laughs> original Bond girl we're just going to chuck in Mary Goodnight is like it just seems rushed and of course Fleming didn't even finish it so we don't even know how much is actually him um, but for a series that did an underrated job of kind of having a chronology this is mm -hmm. just not the ending you want and when we, we almost could have included Colonel Sun which I know is not uh, Fleming but it's basically following it's the closest to Fleming mm -hmm. we ever got and that is a much better older sort of Bond story than this is it's yeah this just it falls flat. Uh, speaking of falling flat, my number 11, um, not a very late novel for Fleming, actually one of the earliest. And uh, I, I think this sort of goes against everything of the time period of early Fleming where it was very imaginative and all the sequences were really memorable. I think that's the biggest thing is that if you look at the early Fleming Bond novels, they have like uh, almost, um, almost serial-like where you have one really big exciting sequence and then a cliffhanger it's always at the end of the chapter then something completely different there's just a lot of inventive ideas in there and diamonds are forever just has none of that um it, along with man with golden gun it's just typical petty criminals it's just mobsters not terribly interesting ones the idea of the diamond smuggling is explained quite interesting in the book uh and we don't really get a lot of that in the movie, unfortunately, but it is one of the, the things that I think would rank it above Man with Golden Gun for me. Uh, there is one sequence in this that really stands out as like, if I were to do a top 10 Ian Fleming, you know, uh, chapters, there's a chapter in Diamonds Are Forever where there's a train crash that's just incredibly exciting to read. Uh, and then again, it just goes flat after that. And I, I, there's there's one great sequence of Diamonds Are Forever and really nothing else to love in it. Other than the fact that I think Tiffany Case is probably one of the strongest Bond girls in the novels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, let's isolate yeah. that and cut out in the novels. Uh, ben, if you're listening, please get on to Oh, that. <laughs> I'm in charge of the editing this week. None of that. <laughs> But uh, I think she's a great character. I think that the the or the Spangled Brothers or something like that in the novels, not 
memorable villains. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, a little bit weaker than even Scaramanga. Uh, but at least it has the one grid train sequence in it. Yeah, I, I forgot about the train sequence, but that is uh, definitely super memorable from that book. Um, Colin, I assure you I'm happy to be here, and I'm not trying to tell <laughs> this podcast as quick as possible, but my number 11 is Diamond Suffering. Uh, it makes for thrilling uh, countdowns, doesn't it? Where we basically just... Uh, which is kind of interesting because going into this I kind of could guess where some of yours would be but I don't really know like, the general consensus on the book um, so it will be interesting to see if this continues on or not or if we deviate uh, yeah I completely agree um, it is interesting if you look at the chronology of the book is number two is live and let die right? which is half of it set in America and then Moonraker comes next which is mostly set in the UK and then Diamonds Are Forever he goes back to America so quite early on there wasn't that big uh, it was only Dr. Casino Royale that really went anywhere outside of America in the US or I know Live and Let Die they go to the island too but it is interesting that he chose to go back to um, America for this and it's it's hard not to think when you think about the what is it the Spangle brothers to not think of the the cronies from yeah. the movie Diamond like I got a brother <laughs> that's all I can think of is these bumbling like typical like cartoony uh, American crime villains that's all I think of um, yeah I, I love that you said Tiffany Case because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I agree like completely different character and I love the film Tiffany Case but completely different character here and if they went for a more serious Diamonds of Forever we could have got this Tiffany Case um, the one thing I'll give this film is the ending to me is quite memorable when they're on the boat and Bond's kind of Tiffany is kind of an important character because this is where he kind of starts to say, oh, I'm starting to get over mm-hmm. Vespa. Right? There is a lot of mentions of Vespa. And one thing I love about the book is there is this sort of ongoing development. Um, and I do remember at the end, he's sort of saying, okay, maybe I can start to, to get over uh, Vespa a bit more. So she is a sort of important character. Uh, but yeah it's just a bunch of buffoon crime villains it, it seemed like what was Fleming's book like the diamond smugglers or his non-fiction one uh, something like that he had mm-hmm. yeah I think it's called the diamond smugglers it, it just seemed like Fleming had an interest in diamond smuggling and he wanted to fit that into Bond but it doesn't really fit into Bond uh, so it just seemed like this was more of a passion project than anything uh I'm actually curious. We're going to match three times in a row here because uh, the one thing I do remember from <laughs> our uh, first book episode was both of us saying how shocked we were that this was not the worst Bond novel because it should be because it barely features James Bond in it. Uh, and talking about Fleming's interests, you got to wonder if Teenage Girls was another one of his interests because that's the main character in The Spy Who Loved Me. 
Uh, and let's be honest, we we know that if there's one book that Ben is going to read first, it's going to be about the teenage girl losing her virginity. <laughs> but this is a fun book. Like the funny thing is, I, I honestly feel like if I reread this, I know what's coming next on my list, and it's it's one that you know I think is decent but has some flaws with it. I'm wondering if when I get around to rereading this, this could potentially move up because. I remember this book so well. I remember it had nothing to do with James Bond except for, you know, he, he appears once it gets closer to the end. The first half of it, I would say, is just a teenage girl living her life in, in Europe, uh, losing her virginity, stuff like that. Uh, and then it becomes a little bit of a chase story, which, you know, becomes a little bit more Bond-like. But this is like the novel that Fleming didn't even want to be associated with James Bond. But it was really interesting. It was, it was bizarrely interesting. And I would I would love to reread. Maybe this will be my next project. Reread this one next, and then revise these rankings. But for now, I'm going to stick with this as number ten, uh, with the uh, exception in there that this could potentially move up to number nine if it if I remember it well enough. And this does turn out to be as good as I do remember. Okay. Uh, well, my it <laughs> is the spy who loved me. Uh, yeah. By the way, this was not planned um, at all. Uh, we did not even merely discuss any of the positions. Um, yeah, it's funny because I feel like you and me are both kind of defenders mm-hmm. of this book, uh, more so than most people. But it's hard to put it much higher, yeah. isn't it? Um, but I, I just... It's pretty cringy, uh, Fleming writing as a teenage girl. Like, there's a lot of cringe in there. Uh, this middle-aged British guy. But one thing I will give him credit for is it's different. I mean, I guess from non-Bond fans, Bond gets a lot of uh, criticism for being the same thing every time. Uh, and this is different. And it's not really filmable as a film, but I would love it if they could work some way. I love the idea of having a Bond novel where Bond is not the main mm. character. And the fact that he just pops up at the end and we're following someone. I don't know how they would do it. Maybe they need to... Uh, maybe it could be a pre-title sequence and it follows somebody and then Bond shows up at the very end. I don't think they can make a film out of this um, but yeah, a lot of it is we have like the two uh, thugs that sort of come after her, but a lot of her is just backstory. It seemed like he was having a blast, right? Uh, and I, I wonder if it was originally not supposed to be a Bond novel, and but he didn't think it could get published. I don't really know the backstory of this, but a lot of it, as much as it's cringy, is. I, I was invested and I was not putting it down and I was loving the story and I just do love how different it is um, and it is a shame it's sort of now become the black sheep of the novels because it is a lot of fun at times and it is creative and uh, you know I'm sure it's better than some of the Raven Benson <laughs> ones <laughs> uh, yeah I, I don't know how we get a film out of this but I had fun, and I would actually be interested to reread it now and see if it 
better or worse. Um, but yeah, it's such a unique idea. I think. Now, moving up a spot, one that uh, another one that I'm interested to reread because I remember being so ex. What's that? I think this will be different. Okay, well, let's see. Because I, I love this movie. I am probably the biggest defender of this movie on this show. Uh, and I remember being so excited to read this novel when I did find oh. a copy of it. And I think it started out okay. And I think it just ends on a whimper. And another one in the category of where, even though I, I don't think you or Ben really cared for this at all, the movie probably did it better. Uh, Thunderball. I mean, Thunderball gave us, you know, Blofeld. Uh, it gave us this really big plot. It's just the fact that this was conceived as a big movie and particularly the last act, it's just it, it, almost none of what's in the movie happens. I mean, that's not to say that they drastically change it. The story's the same, but all the action just isn't there at the end. It's just sort of Bond and, you know, he, he has the little beacon and he's in the water you get a little bit with the boat. It's just, it, it was all, it was maybe just underwhelming considering the size and the scope of the Thunderball movie. Uh, maybe also just with that Blofeld trilogy, this is sort of the low spot in there for me. But uh, uh, again, we'll see what would happen if I reread this one. But I just remember being kind of, not totally disappointed, but kind of disappointed when I read Thunderball the first time. Okay. Uh, I mean, I would, I don't want to give my list away, so I'm not going to send you a screenshot. I almost want to send you a screenshot right now because my number nine is Thunderball. And you didn't think we'd I match. I swear on everything. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure you'd have this much higher, but I guess I'm thinking of the, the movie. Um, yeah, honestly, number nine for me is Thunderball. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, and... I just seem to remember that the first huge portion of this as well is he's just in hospital and it just goes on. Um, and yeah, I guess I'm not the biggest Thunderball movie fan, but there is a scope to that film. And um, I mean, this will be a controversial opinion, but I recently reread all of the Lord of the Rings books. And I know people will love the way that Tolkien writes the battles but to me it's just compared to the film yes he does a lot of description but watching a 30 minute battle versus reading 13 pages just isn't the same to me and I love the book but, and I guess that's the same is at the end it's sort of like 13 pages of, oh he does this and then then this is done and it, you don't have all these you know troops swimming underwater and this music going and uh so I agree, but ironically, this is the book that's given us the most James Bond films. Do you know what was weird about Thunderball, um, like in a positive way, is this is probably the one that is the most important to the Daniel Craig, outside of Casino Royale, obviously, but it's another one that's probably the most important to the Daniel Craig portrayal. Because I've mentioned this a lot of times, especially when you get to uh, Skyfall Inspector, just Bond being a broke, physically broken down man who's pushing himself too too hard, uh, terribly out of shape. Uh, all that stuff came from that first act of Thunderbolt, which, like you said, in the book, it does go on way too long. Uh, but he's not a guy who takes care of himself. And I think that's something that the the original movies always lost, is that he's in terrible shape. He's, he's a guy who's probably going to die by the age of 50. And the Craig movies at least use that. And I think that that's the one thing 
I, I probably come out of Thunderball appreciating more is that they finally got one part of the James Bond character that they never got before. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I guess the one thing I was talking about, the sort of chronology and ongoing thing is in the books, we really do see this deterioration from Casino Royale through to You Only Live Twice. It's just in many ways tragic but it's just sort of a downhill spiral um, which I guess is another reason why Man with the Golden Gun 12 because that sort of just gets it dropped yeah. almost um, but yeah that's a good point Thunderball is sort of the beginning of of that sort of downward up until this point other than Vesper and whatnot he's Dr. No and everything he's pretty fine but then that is the beginning and then what comes uh, later with his wife and whatnot. So, yeah, I, did, I didn't think about the connection. Craig. All right, let's run down uh, our first four here. <laughs> <laughs> number 12, we both ranked Man with a Golden Gun, number 12. Uh, 11, we both ranked Diamonds of Forever, 11. Uh, 10, we both ranked Spy Let Me, 10. 9, we both ranked Thunderball, 9. Uh, let's see if we can match again on Goldfinger. Uh, you know what? If, if we end up matching all 12 of these books... Um, free nude pictures of Ben Waterworth for the first person who writes a review. <laughs> oh, uh, we're no. never going to get a review with that. Uh, anyways, so I'm going to... I really did separate this in my mind as the books that were better than the movie and then the movies that are better than the books. Not that that necessarily represents where my rankings are, but I feel like some books did certain things better. This one, I would say that the movie does it better than the book, but overall, they're so different. And I think that was the thing that, that really took me back when I did read this, is that I had an idea in my head because of the way the movie was, the tone the movie had. And the book is, I mean, I would say almost scene for scene, the same as the movie. There's a lot more in the book than there is the movie. But it just had a much more serious tone. And I think... Uh, another one I'll keep saying this that I think when I do get around to rereading I might have a bigger appreciation for but just the amount of fun that I think the the movie was able to bring out of this story uh, takes the book down a little bit for me there is also the issue of you know every once in a while Fleming may have written something that was racially insensitive uh <laughs> Uh, in this case, I think there's a lot of times where he's simply writing what he knew at the time. And even if he would write something that was insensitive, he would often write something that was positive at the same time. He was just writing what people were. I don't know if the, I'm, you're going to be the authority on this, but I don't know if Goldfinger is going to be the most popular book in Korea because it's pretty vile towards the Koreans. <laughs> uh, but it's it's got a great story. And I just feel like, the movie brought the story out more than the book did. One of the things I think I remember best about the book is a very long dinner scene where Bond went to dinner at Goldfinger's house and he like slept the night there. And I was just reading it. I'm like, this this doesn't fit with my image of the movie. I don't think that it makes Goldfinger as menacing of a villain. Bond having a sleepover at Goldfinger's house. Leapover. But I mean, it, it it has the golf scene, which they did a great job with. The Fort Knox stuff is definitely done much bigger in the movie, although I don't want to detract from it. I do love that the the plot hole of the book was uh, fixed in the <laughs> the movie of you can't move gold, but uh, 
this I'd consider more along the lines of average. And I think what I heard of people who had read Bond books prior to this, they all said, oh, Goldfinger's amazing. And that could be another thing that I just felt like, you know what, it's not as great as a lot of people made it out to be. Definitely not as good as the movie. Not as fun as the movie. But I think it's interesting, nonetheless, to be able to read a James Bond story that is almost exactly the way it was in the movie and just have such a drastically more serious tone. My number eight is <laughs> this is why Noah hasn't and been on the show you know because that? he brings no fresh opinions. That's <laughs> yeah, just a rehash. And what's, what's terrible is I fear the next one's going to be the same oh. as well. <laughs> Uh, but we'll we'll see we'll see. Uh, I think our top five we may start to deviate, but it seems like there's not going to be any hot <laughs> takes this episode. Uh, where's Ben when you need him? Uh, he, he'll be putting man with the Number golden one. gun second. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this one it's just fine. Um, it is probably one of the most dry of the Bond novels. And I think you you go into this with the the movie in mind and for better or for worse, it just you know that it's such a revered film and you would think then that would translate to the movies, uh, to the books. And it, it doesn't really. Um, this to me, to me, this is you know you've got your your bad ones with Man with the Golden Gun, Diamonds Are Forever. They're not bad, but you know you've got your lessers, and then you've got your higher one. This seems like the cardboard cutout. Mm. This is like if you had an AI <laughs> a James Bond novel, and I guess that's appropriate that we've put it sort of basically in the middle, uh, a bit lower, but it it just feels like very safe. Bond novel um, one thing I like about it is and you know I get it pussy hilarious name but I like that Jill is much more of the mm-hmm. Bond girl in this book because she has a connection she should be the Bond girl I, I get it it's hilarious the name is pussy galore but Jill has the connection with uh, Tilly and whatnot and makes for a much better Bond girl than Pussy Galore yeah. ever would have made. Um, which is interesting because then uh, in Trigger Mortis, uh, which is set between Goldfinger and what comes after Goldfinger, mm. uh, Thunderball, uh, Pussy Galore is actually the Bond girl of that novel, uh, the recent one, which was interesting because in the book she's barely present. Um, I mean, in the boot, barely present. <laughs> That's another story. Uh, but yeah, Goldfinger is such a memorable villain in the film. Here is just like, oh yeah, he's he's another Smirsh guy. Um, I've completely forgot about the sleepover. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, but I, I just remember finishing this and not really, not really feeling like excited yeah. about it. And it would be interesting to revisit, but if I do revisit the, the book, which I will eventually, unless I read it in order, I can't see myself picking this up and being stoked to read it. I'm sure I'd find some good stuff when I read it, but 
you know, it's not it's not why I'm probably more, weirdly enough more excited to revisit the Spy Love Me than I would be to revisit Gold. There's a big jump here as far as like what I would consider my appreciation for the novels from my what did we just do to, uh, nine, eight, number eight to my number seven uh, because this one I guess would be the the top of the lower half for me but I consider this to be like a top half Bond novel uh, um, the jump from Goldfinger to this is oh. whoa 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 <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking of Casino Royale. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just—I'm really feeling like this might be the same oh, one. We'll see. Um, this one I think is similar to the movie, but it has enough differences that reading the novel is fresh. I think more importantly, everything in the novel was so so much more exciting. I think than we got one movie, and I think the movie is great, but. There's so much Uh-oh. material in this that they were able to use year after year after year in in films after this. You got to wonder why they didn't do a straight adaptation in the first place. The villains are, you know, a, a little bit generic but fun. You could say also maybe potentially racially insensitive, but it's just a blast to read. <laughs> it's live and let die. Noah's Uh-oh. Noah's next choice in mind is live and let die. <laughs> it is mine number seven and I'm going to send you a picture when we're done with this uh, when we're done with this episode yeah so you can talk about it but I just need to say number seven is Uh, I don't think that oh my god I don't think the solitaire is the best Bond girl I don't think that um, uh, Mr. Big is necessarily the best Bond villain but the environment to this, like, he brings what should be a bland environment, you know, just New York, to life so well. And so many of the sequences, mm. you know, the 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 underwater thing they end up reusing in For Your Eyes Only, Felix getting fed to the shark, just the fact that Felix and Quarrel are major characters, like, I think more than anything, it's not the the typical Bond villain and Bond girl that make for interesting characters of this. It's the supporting cast that Fleming built and this is only a second novel, too, and is so different from Casino Royale. Uh, so really, I have nothing but good things to say about this book. It's just, it, it probably loses a bit for not having as, as let's say, thought-provoking of a plot. Um, not enough of the great spy stuff in there. Uh, story's average, but the writing and the entertainment is top-notch. Yeah, well, my, this is mine, too. Um yeah, it, it is funny that this comes second because it is quite different, uh, and it's not really much of a spy novel. Um, oh, I could be losing some of my uh, Bond fan uh, credit here, but this is the one where Felix goes on his honeymoon. Yeah, honeymoon. <laughs> Which is quite early, uh, seeing as Felix will be in. Uh, a lot of the other novels, but it's just tingling Felix from here on out, I guess. So Felix only gets two uh, <laughs> two novels where he's active. Uh, yeah, this is. I really I struggle because I know it's a product of its time, but this is probably the worst of of telling people, oh, the Bond novels are mm-hmm. dated. <laughs> 
But this one has some bad stuff in it. And I know it's a product of its time, but it can still make for challenging reading uh, in 2020. But it's just so much fun. And I love it. It's basically two parts. There's, and I mean, they followed this in the, the movie too, but you've got, you've got all your stuff uh, in America and then you cut to the island and uh, it's just two, two different um, novels basically and they're both so much fun and I liken this to you know when you're a kid you'll get a gift and it's like a second hand novel from the 30s and it's, it's thrilling adventures <laughs> for boys or something to me this is you know that sort of yeah. like to me, this is like a, a Tintin, or it's, it's, or like the Phantom, or something. It's got that very adventure, uh, that sort of serialized thirties, forties, fifties adventure sort of comic stuff, and it's just so much fun to read. Uh, I don't think it can be higher because, as a Bond novel, does it really get there? Not really, but just such an adventure and. To me, I think I probably read this faster than most of the other ones because it just it just keeps going and going, and it's just so much fun. Uh, and yeah, Quarrel, ah, live and let die film. I will never, I will never forget. Quarrel Junior. Quarrel Junior. And then, <laughs> which, for the record, Ben was a title. And uh, this is where we also get. One thing I love about the novels is kind of the supporting cast. I mentioned Mary Goodnight earlier, but this is where we meet Strangways. Oh, yeah, Strangways, too. Uh, when, we, when we lose Strangways later, it actually has some sort of meaning. Well, in the film of Dr. No, it's sort of just like, who? Mm. Uh, so I kind of like that we have these, oh, you've got Strangways in Jamaica, and you've got Mathis in Europe, and... Uh, you've got Quarrel and you've got Mary Goodnight in England and Felix in America. One thing I do love is this sort of supporting cast throughout the novels and that's really in play in this one. Um, that being said, if you're listening, Eon, we do not need a James Bond extended <laughs> universe. We don't need 18 million Mandalorian TV series. So please disregard everything I've said but I would like to see more of that sort of coming, coming soon uh, recurring coming sort of soon the book of Quarrel Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm talking for the Strangways TV series <laughs> goddammit um, I think our next one will be different but I agree I can't put this any higher but to be honest it's probably one of the most fun of all the Bond novels I, I really adore it. You know, if I didn't have a four-year-old and twins, uh, I would go back and edit in a montage of every time Noah says, I think our next one will be different. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just get to it. I Noah's number six. Uh, <laughs> uh, my number six, and, and you know what, we might deviate here because I swapped my rankings yeah. uh, b- between when I wrote it last night. Oh, hopefully you didn't oh. <laughs> Uh, I never should have swapped, um, but uh, I, I did up my rankings last night, and this one that I'm in the middle of reading, uh, this is uh, the one that I'm currently rereading, which also is the second Bond novel I ever read. The first one I ever read is not my next choice. That's Dr. No was the first novel I ever read. 
following that, I got, uh, it's funny you mentioned like the, the old novels from the 30s or whatever. Obviously, it wasn't from the 30s, but I swear that somebody, uh, I think it was my mom's boyfriend, brought home like from a used book sale. Uh, it was, it must have been like an original hardcover printing of this. It was in terrible shape, but it, it was old. And I, reading this book, to me, my original opinion of it, it felt more like that serialized thing. And I'm in the middle of rereading it now, and this is no knock against it, but it's very different from what I remembered. So I originally had this significantly higher on my list, and now I bumped it down to number six, mostly because I <laughs> I remembered um, I remembered what I now know is a third of this novel as being maybe two, three chapters. Uh, and there's nothing like it is great, but to me, the first third of this is like a short story, something that should have been next to Risico and uh, From a View to a Kill in one of the short story collections. <laughs> but everything after that, you know, as I'm getting into it now, incredible story. Uh, this is probably the best unfilmed adaptation because they never properly adapted Moonraker. Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, right now with the timestamp, so that I can't be accused of changing anything, I'm just going to click print screen right now. Uh, my number six is Moonraker. <laughs> I thought for sure this would have been like number two or something for you, so I thought we were safe for number. So six, when I said I, I print screened it, Moonraker. when I said this was sniff significantly higher on my list, uh, I mean this was number four for me, and I bumped it down because. Today, as we're getting ready to do this, I was in the middle of reading this again, and I'm like, how long does this bond trying to reveal Drax as a cheat at cards go on for? Um, and I love it. It's 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 great reading. Uh, the way that Bond plays up on that, he's pretending to be drunk. Uh, it's like a con game, but it goes on for a third of the novel, and all the, I remembered really enjoying that is the first three chapters, not the first eight chapters of... Um, but when you get into everything else with the you know the Moonraker launch and Gala Brand especially, I mean, such a great Bond girl. I feel like the second and third parts of this novel is almost worthy of being in the top spot. But this first third, for what it is, is great. But this was more of a short story. Yeah, well, I'm not Moonraker, and and I thought uh, this was going to be my my hot take so uh, that's why I worried when you said you changed <laughs> at the last minute uh, I feel like the next one would be different uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or should I change it now and we'll just see what happens uh, this is honestly this is crazy uh, because we did that book episode but it's not like we've had much of a discussion about the books so I didn't really know what your opinions on all of them were um, yeah it's it's a good novel like this is all around a good novel and it, it is interesting that it's set entirely in the UK which we don't really see much in Bond other than normally the starts of film uh, it could be interesting they, they would never do that it could be interesting to do something like that um, I do love on Wikipedia there's there's no citation here there's uh, Moonraker is set entirely in Britain which raised comments with some readers complaining about the lack of exotic locations 
no citations, <laughs> just some angry Bond fan. Um, but yeah, it is sad that we never really got this as a film. Um, and I don't know about your opinion, but for me, I'm a big supporter of using as much Fleming. Uh, let's milk Fleming dry. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we need to use everything from Fleming. And the fact that there's still stuff that's out there that hasn't been used, especially because Casino Royale was was such a success at adapting Fleming into a modern-day era. I think there's a lot... You don't have to call it Moonraker, or you don't have to use Drax or anything like that, but you could use elements of this. And get Gala Brand uh, on... As a Bond girl, it doesn't have to be a Moonraker. No time to die. Let's get her on. Like she's basically, other than Spy Love Me, the only Bond girl. Yeah, I get it. Holly Goodhead, <laughs> hilarious, but like she's she's always going to stand out as the one Bond girl who never really got got the shot. So put her into a Craig film or an Idris Elba film, uh, and use all the elements that still are out there. Um, I. I don't care how stupid the Hildebrand rarity is as a title. I, I want all the Fleming titles to be used, Risico and all that, other than Double New York. in New York. Um, yeah, we could probably pass on that, but use all the other titles. Use the missing Bond girls and villains and plot lines. Uh, of course, you adapt them to fit, but, as they always have. But, yeah, I, I really wish that Fleming stuff would be used more to kind of cover all of that um, but yeah this is just kind of the stock standard this is like Goldfinger's kind of the stock standard then this is the stock standard but done mm-hmm. done well uh, but yeah maybe I can see that, that criticism of setting it just in Britain the whole time um, but I really do like Gala Brand and I like her relationship with Bond and it worked having her as just sort of like an agent I guess after Vespa and Solitaire, you couldn't really get the love interest so soon. So I think that works as almost a Bond equal. Um, yeah, it, it's fun. And I yeah, I agree. It has that sort of live and let die, uh, thrilling sort of story element to it, the Tintins and whatnot. It does feel a bit like that. But yeah, to me, it's never been one of my favorites, even though I know it's highly regarded. But it's just, you know, it's good, well done, spy story and, and we've mentioned this many times before but I mean Gayla Brand that was the original name of the Miranda Frost character in Die Another Day because Die Another Day their idea was we want to take Moonraker and use elements of the Moonraker novel for the first time you can see a lot of that here a lot of like the the villain giving off some massive demonstration of I mean, in, the, in the book it's a rocket it's uh, I don't know a satellite in the movie he had yeah white face <laughs> the DNA uh, replacements it was all there Fleming had it uh, originally uh, but I think what was most striking me uh, as I'm rereading it now I'm probably about halfway through it is I can see why they would have gone with Gayla Brand I almost wish they had used Gayla Brand as a name just as a swerve to the audience for who knew the books because the Miranda Frost character is exactly what Gayla Brand is 
is just you have the twist in there about her. Oh, no, she's actually a bad guy. So it would have been way to surprise the audience. But then you would have had audiences being upset that they changed the character. I just feel like that would have made the surprise of Miranda Frost turning even better to almost be adapting the character exactly the way it is. She's put in place as an assistant to the villain. Uh, and then it turns out, you know, that uh, she's with him in the end. It, it would have been a cool twist. But we, we shouldn't be talking about Dino of the Day. Um, it's making me nauseous. <laughs> Well, a, a, a fun fact is that in the novel, uh, Carla Brand's name originally was uh, Peaceful Fountain of Desire. <laughs> <laughs> but you changed it. It was too long. Yeah, for the exactly. <laughs> um, all right, let's <laughs> let's try to break the trend here. Uh, I, I, this is the one. This, this is, is it. One. Uh, oh, hold on. I feel like this the next one will be different. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is maybe the closest a movie ever adapted a book. Uh, <laughs> Might be different, uh, maybe. <laughs> they just sort of changed the order. Um, I, I think this is maybe one of the strongest overall stories Fleming ever wrote. The writing style was different for him, just in the way that he ordered it. Uh, let's just come around and say, "From Russia with Love." Yeah. <laughs> All right, we didn't match. <laughs> All right, different opinion. Um, I love everything, but this we're into the top five now, uh, by my count. Uh, this is a top five novel. I can't say anything against it except the fact that. I love the first four or the, the next four that I have even more than this. Uh, this could have almost swapped spaces with my number four, but I'll get to my number four in a second and why that would hold a higher spot. Uh, I, I almost feel like it shouldn't work to be telling a book 50% from the point of view of the villains and 50% the point from Bond. Uh, but somehow it works because it changes the pace. You're expecting something of a Bond novel and it's something completely different. And at the time that he wrote this, I mean, we talked about, you know, Diamonds Are Forever uh, was the one that preceded this and that it just sort of felt so stock standard for Bond. And From Rush With Love comes around, it's got really no more complicated of a story than any other Bond novel. It's just told in such a different way. Uh, and I really feel like this was the first time since Casino Royale that Fleming nailed villains. Like, the villains are scary in From Rush With Love, particularly Red Grant. Red Grant is scary in the movie. Red Grant's even scarier in the book. Uh, and we'll say the same thing for Kleb. Kleb is terrifying in the book. Uh, we talked about this when we did the movie. I mean, For Marshall Love may be one of the greatest spy stories of all time. I feel like this was almost Fleming at his peak, even though there's books that I enjoy more that are still to come. As far as everything coming together, just a unique writing style in this, uh, brilliant characters, uh, fantastic story and just entertaining start to finish. I mean, For Russia Love is the book that has it all. There's just four that I enjoy more. Well, we finally have a differing opinion. Um, I think the reason why 50% of the novel being based on the villains worked so well is that none of them lost their virginity <laughs> in the story. So. Oh, that scene where Rosa Klebb <laughs> scene where Rosa Klebb had <laughs> deflowered <laughs> <laughs> this was the girl uh, that M. Th yeah, this I mean, is the girl I'll... that M was uh, with it. Who <laughs> and Bond's talking about in the novel? Well, there was this one time with M in Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> it was Rosa. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said about. It. I guess I'll get more into it when I when I get to it. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. And wasn't it it's JFK's favorite novel? Yeah, I mean, like a like top that. ten list. That's what put James Bond on the map in America. Was JFK recommending this? I mean, to be fair, there could have been plenty of books that came up, but <laughs> a little cut short. But, uh, rest in peace. Uh, I guess I'll go to my number five, and this is where I was pretty confident that we would have a difference, because I think there's a chance this could be number one or two for you, but it's probably going to be next based on our track record. Um my next is on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Um, and it's the same for you for uh, living uh, from Russia with Love. We're in the top five. Um, this is a great novel. I think we're basically from six onwards, we got to these are the great novels. And this is just great. Um, as a follow-up to Thunderball, it, it does such a better job, and I like that it's sort of that continuation. Uh, and it, it's quite a different novel as well, much as the movie is quite a different movie. Uh, I think the film does a great job of adapting this. Um, yeah, I, I guess when thinking why it's five, I think it's just I like the other ones more less so than the criticism of of this one I do think I probably had preferred the film to this more to me this is a great novel but it's it's just sort of okay this is fun to read while I think the film is oh this is a great film to watch um, so yeah I don't really know what to say in terms of criticism <laughs> I, I really like this and the ending of course is great uh I think the follow-up to this is much better. Um, but, yeah, in talking about a broken bond, this is really pushing the the limits to a uh, broken bond uh, and kind of leads into this. This is the beginning of the final act, I guess, for Bond. And I do like his idea of sort of making a loose trilogy, which works really well, I think. The one thing I'll say, uh, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but... As far as I'm concerned, I think one of the things that makes the movie more impactful than the book is the fact that in the movies, we never had a big shocking ending like that. Whereas in the books, I mean, yeah, we had Casino Royale, but I mean, you could argue a couple of the Bond novels ended with some big surprises or at least some some really dramatic stuff. Moonraker, it's it's not dramatic, but it's like, whoa, didn't see that coming. Uh, From Russia with Love, the same thing. So the surprise in the novel of... Uh, sorry to spoil it for people uh, Tracy dies <laughs> they have all the time in the world um, <laughs> approximately one page left uh, but uh, it, it's not as shocking in the novels because that wasn't unusual for Fleming to throw something really big and, and dramatic out there whereas in the movies nothing like that had even come close to happening before I think having had Casino Royale precede this but not having that in the movies definitely had a different impact on the movie itself but uh, I'll talk about it eventually uh, how soon who knows uh, not next though um, so number four uh, this is the one that uh, I had I, I said that I probably could swap this with From Russia With Love 
But the nostalgia for me is, as I said earlier on, this was the first Bond novel I ever read. So it's Dr. No. Uh, and... <laughs> oh, we did it again! We're back. <laughs> My number four is Dr. No. We're um, back. We're, we're past the point of being able to say anything bad about these novels. This is also very close to the, the movie that we'll eventually get. Uh, but there's so much more danger and intensity in this and obviously you couldn't pull that off with a budget I would love to have seen them do Dr. No as the fourth movie uh, as, as opposed to the first movie just to see if they really could have captured a lot of the um, the action the violence that's near the end of it uh, particularly with Bond's escape I, I know I talked about this probably on the uh, Dr. No movie and the first book episode we did but Bond's escape um, from Dr. No's prison or whatever uh and then his rescue of honey and everything leading up to the end is arguably the best section uh i know i mentioned diamonds of forever as maybe being one of the best sequences but the best section of a book ever bond's escape from dr no's lair is just incredible in the book uh and having those characters you know if you are reading it uh chron- chronologically returning like quarrel and strangways uh and felix it, it, it's so great because Having read this first, I I just thought that Fleming had captured these brilliant characters and, you know, didn't realize that he had put work into this. And I think that's one of the reasons why characters like, as far as Bond novels go, fans love characters like Mary Goodnight, the ones that appear, because Fleming had time to develop them and they, they meant more, especially like you mentioned with Strangways. Uh, so, I mean, you're not going to get a lot of stuff that wasn't in the movie. Other than the fact that I think Honey Rider plays as such a different character, despite the fact they change nothing about her, they just are able to get more into like the dirty stuff of her backstory. Uh, and if Ben's listening, not that kind of dirty stuff. But if if it gets you if it gets you into reading, there's that kind of dirty stuff in here too, Ben. <laughs> but but she has like such a dark backstory that uh, I th- I think that's one of the reasons why both of us ranked her as high as we did in the the Bond girls rankings just for the movies is because they captured about 10% of what they could have with the character, but that 10% they captured, they were at least true to. And it just sort of got, gets you thinking about how much more there was in the novel. Uh, I mean, Honey Rider is, is one of the greatest Bond girls ever in the movies. She's top three Bond girl in the novels. And I think we ranked her top three in the movies. So she's just top three no matter what. But top four in books. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. Uh, clearly, number four. <laughs> yeah, what, what you were saying is uh, this is sort of the culmination of so many of these recurring characters. We we feel something if we lose Strangways or Quarrel this time. I mean, we feel something when we lose Quarrel in the movie too. But um, but yeah, it, it means something and. You know, Honey is such a great Bond girl as well because she's got this this dark story and she's got involvement in the plot. But she's also not she's not a she's not a Vesper or a Tracy. Like Bond's not trying to woo Honey. She's just here and she's involved in the plot and she teams up with him. But it's not that sort of connection which I think works quite well. Um, before we had that, we sort of. Gala, I guess, and Mary Goodnight, but they're more friends, agents, or they're at least yeah, friends. They're involved in the sort of, but she's just someone who is caught up in this plot, and that he joins forces with, and that happens with Solitaire, but she's not overly memorable. 
Uh, but I don't know if it's because I, I love this film and I've seen this film so many times, but this just feels so descriptive and I feel like I'm there throughout all of it. And the film does an amazing job. For the first film, they did a great job of adapting a Bond novel into the screen. I think this is a good one to start with um, because it kind of ticks so many of those boxes. Um, and I think this one fits... We were talking about Live and Let Die, Moonraker, about the you know thrilling adventures from the 30s. I think this is the perfect mix of mm. that adventure and sort of ripping yarn mixed with spy novel. I think this is where he did it better than any of the other novels. Um, so yeah, it's just a lot of fun. The only thing missing from this is the song. Yeah. <laughs> Underneath the mango tree. Or oh, oh, sorry, you meant jump yeah. up, jump up, Jamaica. <laughs> jump up, Jamaica. You can't hear that when you read this book. And that, that's, a, that's a damn thing. Uh, one knock against it. Um, let's get to yeah. the top three here. Uh, to me, I mean, the I mentioned you had like the the first couple where it's like, yeah, these are the lesser ones. Then it's oh, I love all these. The top three to me are like the perfect three novels. Like I can't say one bad thing about it. My number three is one where I don't think this novel should work on paper. A lot of the other ones that we've complained about here, this fits the description. Uh, it, a lot of it is dry. A lot of it is just talking. Uh, a lot of it is just explaining the world that Bond's in because he's never been there before and then you get to the climax which is just so incredible uh, so, such such a different environment for Bond to be in and you add to that just the drama of you know, completing this ultimate trilogy that Ian Fleming had the, 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 the Blofeld trilogy uh, you only live twice I remember the first time I read it almost being bored for the first half but then the more you read it, the more you appreciated everything that came before. So you get into the, the third or fourth chapter of Tiger Tanaka explaining Japanese culture or explaining, uh, oh, this Shatterhand guy you're talking about, well, this is what we observe. We don't quite agree with you. You're like, okay, just get on with it. But then they do it for another chapter and you're like, wait, you know, I'm actually really liking how in-depth they're getting the character and how much Fleming's building this world. Uh the climax, the, the the castle, the or what is it, the Garden of Death or something like that? Do you remember what they call it in there? I think it's the Garden yeah. of Death. So, so the Garden of Death and and you know, the Shatterhand persona is there's such a mystery behind it. Even though I think any reader knows this is Blofeld, uh, it's just so different. It feels like well, why would Blofeld be making people commit suicide? Just the idea of a garden people go to commit suicide, and the book has such a great way of explaining it so that it makes sense. It's not science fiction. Like, oh, I fully believe that this is the way it would be in certain cultures and all that. Uh, and Bond's, uh, I don't know, the, the final, not not the final confrontation, but even just his infiltrating this this compound. It's like the the end of Doctor No, like I explained. Like it is so gritty and so, at times, violent and and intense that you just can't put it down. And I remember just being shocked when I finished it, being like, you know, I don't know what it is about this novel, but I absolutely love it. Uh, so there's two that I love slightly more, but uh, this should have been the end of the James Bond series. And if you did start new, start new with something other than Man with a Golden Gun, as we said. Uh, but I, I always just loved the idea that I had in my head after I read this of it starts with Casino Royale 
Bond is one person when that begins. It sort of ends with Tracy. And this is like the epilogue where you think Bond mm. has this happy ending. And then everything gets thrown on its head in the last thing. And you're like, oh, this is a tragedy. It's not a happy ending. It's a tragedy. It's just It, it was such a brilliant way for Fleming to end the character in a way you wouldn't expect. Um, I just have to add on here excerpts. I sent you guys screenshots of this because there is some hilarious... This is an... For such a dark story, it is very, I, I believe, intentionally funny. Um, so, Tiger's explaining to Bond, First lesson, Bondosan, do not make way for women. Push them, trample them down. Women have no priority in this country. You may be polite to very old men, but to no one else. Is that understood? <laughs> uh, and even better... <laughs> even better, this one, you know Fleming actually had a sense of humor when he wrote this one. Uh, Bondosan, the western habit of blowing the nose and carefully wrapping it in result in silk or fine linen and harboring it in your pocket as if it were something precious would you do the same thing with other excretions of your body? Exactly so if in Japan you wish to blow your nose, perform the act what is this word? Decorously and dispose at once, tidily as a result like Fleming had a sense of humor and I just uh, I love everything about this novel. I almost want to rank it higher right now. But like there's a sense of humor to it, there's a darkness to it. It's tragic, it's happy, it's everything. Yeah, I mean, we don't have a match, but I agree with everything you said. Actually, I thought it would be higher for you um I mean, we're in the top 3. <laughs> yeah, it's just you mentioned Dr. No through to You Only Live Twice and that's what I love about the novels is you know the films I'm fine that they're just there's no real canon and it's just let's have a fun film and you know when they do try and do canon with the Craig stuff they kind of fail so maybe it's best they just stick to you know just having the film but I, I loved everything about this feels like a climax um, it feels like everything that's come before is now coming to a head and that's why it should be the last <laughs> novel. But, um, yeah, I, I will talk about it sometime in the next three. But yeah, I agree with everything you've said about it. It's a great film, uh, great movie. Uh, it's an okay film. <laughs> Sorry. It's a great book. It's an okay film. Tiger Tanaka is great yeah. in both. Um, number three for me, you've already said it, is From Russia with Love. Uh, I don't know, I feel like I will, if I ranked this straight after reading it, it would have been lower if I'd read all the novels and then ranked it. But just over time, it stuck with me much more than some of the other ones. And I think initially I didn't like how much it focused on the villain. I think maybe because it was so unexpected and you're thinking, oh, where, where's Bond, where's Bond, where's Bond? And obviously the filmmakers have that issue worry in mind because they had to introduce <laughs> fake Halloween bond into the opening sequence but um, this wouldn't work if the characters weren't so memorable if you didn't have Rosa Claire and Red Grant and all this but they just carry it and uh, oh my god I'm completely blanking on her name right now Tanya yeah right? Tanya Tanya, yeah. She is such a great character in the book as well. But she at sometimes, I know you didn't mention her, but I, and I don't know your opinion on it, but I think at times she carries the novel. Mm -hmm. And 
we're seeing a lot through her eyes and I love her relationship with Cleb uh, and yeah this is the most spy-like of all the, the novels as the same as it is with the films but you know we have some great stuff with Spectre that comes after but this is the culmination of the Smurf stuff I think everything about Smurf kind of leads up to this novel I think um, and uh, the ending as well almost ends like on a cliffhanger right and everything about it is just well done maybe at times it can be a little dry but it just feels well done something like Goldfinger yeah it's good but at times we can pick apart things but this just feels like he did a good job all around uh, nailed the villains uh, Bond's great in it I love the climax uh, Tanya she was good in the movie but she's great here uh, I always thought if they were ever going to make like a mini series or something out of a Bond or a TV series out of a single Bond novel this would make such a great TV series I would love to watch from Russia with Love the TV show like you can even take the Bond character out and replace it with somebody else but this would just work I think as a miniseries so well and I'd love to explore these characters much more so I think all around this novel probably had the best cast of characters out of any of the Bond novels so my number two is going to reveal my number one as well if people are playing along at home um, but uh, Honor Majesty Secret Service uh, which was number one on my movies number two on my books I think it ranked like number two on my Bond Girls as well. Uh, maybe number one, I can't remember. I th- it's this is if you only live twice was what should have been the proper ending. This was like the climax, and you only live twice was okay. One one last one last round or whatever. Uh, Fleming had built the Blofeld character up so subtly. You know, he appears in Thunderball. Uh, he's massive here. He kind of takes I'm not going to say a backseat and you'll live twice but he he's more subtle again but this is the only time we really get a big Blofeld appearance in the novels and I feel like I mean, he doesn't disappoint nothing about this book disappoints I think what's most surprising is I know Ben would have an opinion on this uh, but the love story is not built up as much in the book as it is in the movie <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say I don't buy them falling in love and him wanting to marry her. Uh, I, I feel like it's just it's 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 a bigger surprise in the book because you don't see it coming because you don't have we have all the time in the world in a montage as they you know frolic around Europe together. <laughs> uh, but all the uh, sequences you get in the movie are all here, and I feel like even though On Her Majesty's Secret Service is my favorite of the movies, I actually do feel like the book did it even better. Uh, and Bond's character he doesn't feel as different because the movies are so disjointed where you have not just changing from Connery to Lazenby, but even the tone of the movies going from cartoon, like you only have twice to ground and re Ugh, ground in reality. It's making me gassy. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> uh, reality. Yeah, reality, <laughs> reality is I had Chinese for lunch. Um, <laughs> uh, it tastes different. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but are you Chinese? <laughs> but but I mean I I love this book and it's it's one of the first ones I read, um, it, not the very first one I read. I mentioned that was Doctor No. It's the first one I think I ever owned. I got this for Christmas one year, uh, and I think I actually opened it on Christmas Eve, 
and I had read two-thirds of the book by the time I went to bed that night. Like, you can't put it down, even if you know the movie already. Uh, can't say anything else about it. It's, it's, it's a perfect book. I could rank this not just among James Bond novels. If I were to do up a list, and I did one, you know, last year, one of those things people share, uh, rank your books, I'd put what is my number one is my number one. But both of these, I could easily put among my top, let's say at least 15, 20 novels of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Um, it's quite unique as well because there's no montage, but it does take place over quite a long time. Uh, I think, could be wrong, but I think The Spy Who Loved Me is actually supposed to take place during the events of mm. this novel, which is quite different because most of the novels are pretty much set within, well, days, really. Um the only other time I can think is maybe Casino Royale, we had the time jump. Maybe it happened some other mm. times, but for the most part, it's kind of in the moment. So this is, like the film, is quite unique of how much it, uh, how much it sort of just follows this kind of beak. It feels grand, and the film feels grand too. So I, I think they did a good job of adapting this and it does work better when you don't have Lazenby in your yeah. head. Uh, oh, I should have mentioned that too. Yeah, we can- I, I like when I read this the first time. I read it imagining Sean Connery in the role and not Lazenby. Um, and, and it's it's <laughs> very different doing it that way. And I'm not knocking Lazenby, but I just I couldn't picture Lazenby in this book. No, I can't picture Lazenby in any book. Uh. <laughs> 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 We love Lazenby, but, you know, when you read this, you think it deserved probably somebody yeah. else. Um, and I'm sure we've gotten into that in the past. But, yeah, I would be really interested to revisit this because I feel like it's probably one of the ones I had the least sort of memory of, even though I had it so high. Is like I, of course, remember the main parts of it, but I'm sure there's so much little in-between stuff that I just... I've forgotten over time, so I'd be really interested to revisit on a Majesty's Secret. Mm. Uh, there's one. So there's me, one that hasn't even been mentioned yet. So I think we know what our average is going to be for number one. But we're down to only two for you. <laughs> so will we have? We know that uh, you've already said you're under the price, but will we have a match for number mm. one? Uh, no. <laughs> But it will be it will be the average top, which I think it deserves. I actually almost had this at number one, and I was tossing up. So my number two is Casino Royale, which is just so good. Um, I thought about having it at number one, and I think the only thing that put it down for me is the writing is much more amateur than what comes. You can tell that this is an early work mm. for him. It feels like he's finding his tone and whatnot. And it's not that distracting. It's not really a problem, but, you know, you compare On Majesty's Secret Service, you only live twice. He got much better at writing. Uh, so I guess it's the prose that's really the only thing that doesn't make it number one. Uh, but this was actually the first one that 
I ever read and you just instantly fall in love with it and it was not a question after reading this that I wasn't going to read all of them like it's almost mind blowing that this was the first one because it is that good uh, from everything from Lashif the way he's portrayed similar in the movies is just so creative for a first novel and almost brave to have some of these things happen in this first novel with uh, Vespa and, and I love uh, the introductions to Felix and Mathis and whatnot. And you just immediately dropped in. You, you're a part of this novel and you feel like you're there when you're reading it. And I, I wonder if I hadn't seen any of the films, would I feel the same way or would this not catch me as much? I don't know. But I feel like when I'm reading this, I'm a part of it and I do have the context of the film, but it's just amazing how much of it was there from the beginning. Because right? you would even argue Dr. No, the film, less of it is there from the beginning than what will come for the films, even though a lot of it is there. But this feels like it is just fits in. You could put it in the middle and it feels like this is the Bond novel. And I love it's the first one and it feels like the first one. By the only live twice, we get a very different Bond, but this feels like an early uh, Bond adventure. And they did such an amazing job of adapting this. And that's a credit to the, the book, that they can adapt a book from the early 50s into 2006 and make it work so well. Uh, credit to the filmmakers, but just as much of a credit to the novel, I think. Um, yeah, I, I thought about having this at number one. I'm very fine with it being the average number one. I don't really have any negative to say about it. It just flies by, and I would love to revisit as soon as we go off this call, really. Uh, this is the only one that I've read three times, and I'm going to read it for the fourth time. Um, and I completely agree with you. It, it does feel more like a beginner's novel. It's not as refined. It's it's uh, not as well-written overall, uh, but that's kind of the appeal of it to me. And maybe it is because I know it's the first one. It's the one that I had no familiarity with. I hadn't seen the Casino Royale movie when I read this book. So it was an opportunity for me to read a James Bond story and have no idea what it was about. Uh, and maybe that's one of the reasons why I always hold this. Like, this is the one I can always go back to and reread. Uh, I think I reread this before we did our Casino Royale trilogy uh, <laughs> when we were covering the movies all the way back then. Uh, that might have been the last time I read it. Uh, and it held up just as well for me. And I think what's interesting is that I remember reading this and then seeing the movie and almost being disappointed that some of the sequences were not left out but changed. Because uh, there are sequences in this that are exactly the way it's described in the book. Uh, him almost hitting Vesper with the car, uh, that the whole Aston Martin chase where she's lying down on the road. I, I remember seeing that in the trailer and freaking out. I'm like, oh, it's just like in the book. Uh, the torture, <laughs> you know, it's definitely more graphic in the book, but I remember thinking there, there's no way they're going to be able to pull this off in the movie, and then they really pulled it off. Uh, and then some of the sequences that you mentioned they adapted to modern day, I was almost upset that they had to adapt it to modern day, and I love it now. I mean, I, I, I'm more appreciative of it now that I see, okay, there's a reason why you want to have Bond poisoned and having to use some form of gadget in this as opposed to just having a gun in his back in the middle of a card table. 
But the sequences were the same sequence. It was just as exciting. It was just as intense. Everything was there. They just updated it. Uh, there was like a bomb bombing sequence at Casino Royale. I mean, there was tons of action in the Casino Royale novel. And it's weird as we go through this. You mentioned with Dr. No that it, it had that sort of serialized feel to it. That's sort of, I think, the way these stories started. And it wasn't until Moonraker. Moonraker still retained a little bit of that. But Moonraker is where he's like, I'm going to start making more straight spy novels. More about the characters. More about building the story. And not so much just about these action adventure set pieces. But Casino Royale and Live and Let Die are so similar, even though they're so different. And that they are just these serial adventures. You know, these cliffhanger adventures. And I I love that about the book. And I I love everything they did with the movie but i can i can read the book differently whereas from russia with love and dr no you know they're different but they're similar enough that that it it sort of feels like when you read the book you're reading an expanded version of the story i always view the casino royale book as completely different even though they capture the story so well uh and it is the most complete character i think that that never gets given credit for there are more complete characters out there in books uh not saying this is literature but for a character that everybody just boils down to, oh, he's just a womanizer. Oh, he's just you know this uh, this smooth rich guy, uh, cheesy one liners and all that. I always said to people after I'd read the Casino Royale book, I'm like, there's a reason why Bond is like that in novels because we've never gotten the Casino Royale movie. You don't get the reason why. When you read the Casino Royale book, you realize why Fleming wasn't writing a chauvinist because he was a chauvinist. There's a reason behind Bond being a chauvinist. And I think that's the most forgotten thing about Casino Royale that I'm glad that the movie was finally able to give us. But uh, this is easily my number one for me. As I said, I've read this three times. I'm going to read it for the fourth time, and it'll probably be the last one I read. But I'm so excited to read this again and again and again. Yeah, I mean, I think it just does such a great job of even though the character is sort of established in the book, it feels like the first one. Mm-hmm. And obviously he probably didn't know where the story would go from there out. But you can read Only Live Twice and then look back on this and you can see the development and that is lost in the movies, uh, for better or for worse. But Yeah, I'd say if there's any of these 12 books, that if I had them lined up and I was going to read reread one I would probably jump to this first not because it's first but if I'm going to reread any of this book I think that's the one I'm gravitating to more than any so that says something about it um, and very 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 uh, deserved number one average I almost had it number one um, but my number one is You Only Live Twice which I guess it was kind of a surprise because I am, you know, the Craig era is my least favorite era of James Bond. And I've been on record as saying how much I love the, I love Roger Moore and I love (laughs) Campy Bond. And to me, this is probably the most Craig-like of any of the novels. I know you read out some Tiger Tanakh uh, wisdom, (laughs) but this is very, very dark. Uh, and it's it's very much a Craig film of Bond's pretty much gotten rogue at this point uh, this time it's personal <laughs> pretty much is the uh, yes he's uh, he's on a mission and he's searching for Blofeld and whatnot but it's purely personal it's a follow up to Tracy being murdered and it's basically just 
the revenge mission that we never got even in Diamonds Are Forever mm-hmm. feel. Um, but I guess why I like it more than I would like a Craig this time it's personal type thing is it is the culmination of everything that's come in these books. To me, this is the final book. I know it's not, yeah. but this is the end of the James Bond story. Um, and just everything, the descriptions and the setting and the Garden of Death is such a great sort of uh, end villain lair. I wish they would kind of bring that in to the films at some point I don't know if you can do that now if it would work I mean, this sort of castle garden of death I think I would love to see that uh, with Christoph Waltz uh, and then Kissy is is not a good Bond girl and in a weird way I think that's that works I kind of like that she's just average uh, because at the end when he's he's with her and he loses his memory and he and uh, she's pregnant. It just feels like okay, maybe there can be finally Bond can just have something normal. So I, I don't know if it was intentional, but I like that she's not very memorable. Yeah. Um, she's more she's more memorable than she is in the film. Um, but then even uh, at the end, when he's sort of piecing off uh, piecing off bits of his memory, and he's what does he, he learns about Vladivostok and oh, maybe I'm going to go off to Russia and try and regain my memory and find out what's happened to me. Even though that's a bit of a cliffhanger, I still think that's just a perfect end. He loses his memory, he's found the girl, Tracy's gone, Vesper's gone, but he's he's going to be a dad. (laughs) He's got this girl, he doesn't have any memory of all the painful things he's been through in his life. And then... Yes, it's a bit of a cliffhanger, but I'm fine with it ending on a bit of a cliffhanger. That was the last of Bond, especially because then we never really see any of that followed up. Um, yeah, they could have made a cool novel set in Russia with Bond having no memory and as sort of like an investigator, sort of like a mystery sort of novel. That could have been cool, kind of cool, but I'm fine that that's how it ends with, and he's off. He's going to find out who he is and the end. James Bond as a British agent that's finished with and that's the end of the story really uh, so it's such a great end to this sort of I keep going on about the chronology but this is the build up to everything and it's exciting the, the last kind of third of the book is just some of the best stuff Fleming ever did and yeah I mean the man with the golden gun doesn't bring this down but it is a shame that came after because I will, I will always think of this as the end and it's a shame we couldn't got this as a follow up to the film on the Majesty's Secret Service but we will always have this novel as this sort of revenge stuff yeah it shouldn't be my favourite based on what I like in the films but to me this lands in everything and we talk about the writing skill in Casino Royale I think at this point Fleming 12 books in 11 books in had just nailed characters he'd nailed uh, emotional beats he'd nailed the actual prose and he nailed the ending more than any of them other than maybe on a Majesty's mm. so yeah to me this is the last Bond book and yeah I, 
I've never gone around saying, oh, this is my favorite, but when I really looked at it all, I thought, yeah, this is probably the best, which you don't really think of You Only Live Twice as being the best of anything. But for me, the best bomb book, and I'd love to revisit it now, really. And it's funny that you mentioned with Casino Royale, which was your number two and my number one, that that would be your go-to if you were to just pick up the books and read it again. Um, Casino Royale was my number one, You Only Live Twice my number two. Yet when I had the chance to pick up the books and reread them again, You Only Live Twice was the first one I reread. Uh, it was only after finishing that where I'm like, well, let me see if Man with a Golden Gun really plays well after this. And it doesn't. Uh, and then I'm like, okay, let me jump back to this and this and this. So uh, we we didn't match our top two, but we matched our opinions of our top two somehow. Uh, normally, we would pause for a musical interlude as we calculate our rankings. This is going to be very easy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Number 12, The Man with the Golden Gun. Number 11, Diamonds Are Forever. Number 10, The Spy Who Loved Me. Number 9, Thunderball. Number 8, Goldfinger. Number 7, Live and Let Die. Number 6, Moonraker. When we get to the top 5, we deviate slightly. Um, But our average overall, uh, it's actually a tie for number 4, I guess we should say. But we'll give the spot to the one that ranked higher on one of our lists. So that would put Dr. Noah's number four on our list, and From Russia with Love as number, or sorry, Dr. Noah's number five, and From Russia with Love as number four. Since uh, From Russia with Love made your top three, so that'll give it one ranking higher. Number three on Her Majesty's Secret Service, number two overall, You Only Live Twice, and our number one overall, Casino Royale. Um, pretty similar to both of our lists i'm interested to see your screenshot (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i can't complain (laughs) my list pretty this see ben has been holding Uh, us back (laughs) can you imagine the die another day episode if ben wasn't on Yeah, I, I assure anyone listening, this was not planned, and we've barely talked about any of the books in years. Um, so it is funny. I don't know if there is a general consensus. I'm not really sure what the fan opinion is of the novels. Maybe it, it's not really that controversial, any of our decisions, but, yeah, I mean, obviously I stand by the list. I think that's a good <laughs> list because it's pretty much what my list is. Uh, well... Noah, you've contractually filled your obligation right at the beginning of 2021. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm good for the year. Any, any chance we could tempt... See you, see you in 2022. <laughs> any chance we could tempt you into uh, another round next week as we recap Timothy Dalton and Fran Drescher in The Beautician and the Beast? Will Ben be Oh, uh, sadly, yes. If Ben's not, I'm not doing it. I'm no. just saying that. <laughs> 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 what so it's just me yes <laughs> that would be an interesting episode <laughs> but we my contract means I will only do episodes alone <laughs> uh, whether or not Noah's there or not uh, that will be our next episode uh, as we're gonna I guess keep going back and forth between the recaps of films from other Bond actors we've done Zardoz The Man Who Haunted Himself uh, <laughs> the man from Hong Kong. So now we got to get up to Lazenby. Oh, you did the man. From we Hong did. Kong. You should listen to it. It was a great episode. <laughs> oh, I love the man. 
I mean, oh yes, you did the man from Hong Kong. I knew that. Well, guess what? We're going to cover it again next week. <laughs> oh, I, I hope you guys like that. Oh, we that. love that one. Uh, not so much the man who haunted himself. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be overly fond of the beautician and the beast, but we'll see. Uh, and then uh, after that, we're going to alternate with some commentaries, but uh, we also have November Man with Pierce Brosnan to cover and Cowboys and Aliens with uh, Daniel Craig, and we'll pick something with Idris Elba after that. I don't know. Uh, but hopefully, by the time we're done all that... When is this new movie coming in? <laughs> no Time to Die. Uh, Noah's contractually obligated to appear in 2022, which is probably when we're going to get the movie. So I'm guessing the next time Noah's on here is going to be No Time to Die. But if it's not, I'm, I'm sure Noah's going to come back for a No Time to Die review episode or something. Yeah, I, I promised at least for No Time to Die, but I don't believe it will ever come out. But, uh, I will come back for that, and I will come back to talk to a patron on the call. Yes, that's right. And I, and I will not take any of the money, I promise. <laughs> Uh, for as little as that's, that's my commitment. For as little as three dollars a month, you can get Daniel Craig's Little Fingers, uh, where you can get bonus episodes once a month from us, uh, access to a f- private Facebook group, and a personal shout out on our website. That's right. Hey, I'm not in this Facebook group. <laughs> it doesn't exist yet because we don't have. I didn't get we it. need a Patreon first. Did I have to uh, you're contractually obligated to make one post a year. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you can uh, also. S- I, I was saying you. You're what? Uh, ben and Colin. That the only reason they got me. On, the only reason Ben and Colin got me on is because they paid for my cameo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I feel like that's really the next big step for Double Us. You can talk to Noah Groves on cameo now for as little as fifty dollars a session. Uh, but if you're willing to pay for our top tier Pierce Bros's chest hair, you can get a free phone call from Noah Groves and a free autograph picture of George Lazenby signed by Noah Groves or whatever. Oh, naked Benz. <laughs> and the naked Benz. <laughs> um, I, I'm putting this out here. If you talk to me, I will donate my $10 charity. That charity being the Ben Waterworth pity fund. <laughs> Keep Ben Clothed Fund. <laughs> uh, that'll be $10 a month, though, people. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we'll be back eventually with a new episode. Um, and, oh, I should also give a plug out here. Um, if you are like other things spy-related, I'm actually doing some guest appearances on a podcast called Mission Impotable. Clever title. Uh, it's a podcast that's oh. covering the uh, original classic Mission Impossible TV series from start to finish. By the time you hear this episode, I think two of the episodes I was on are already airing. Another one should be coming soon, and then another one after that. So, uh, look, I'm in high demand right now. So, um, yeah, Ben, I've already left, and now Ben's gonna have nobody. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're all leaving you, Ben. You get married, and you drive your friends away. Uh, bros, but no, let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's something funny. Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> let's end it before we get into. <laughs> he, he that right. <laughs> uh, let's end it before we get in real trouble. Uh, thank you for joining us. My name is Colin, and I feel like the next one will be different. Uh, my name is Nora, and I won't be on the next one. Take a look. It's in a book. 
A reading rain. 